How did Jeff Bezos realize you could sell anything on the internet? Why did Bill Gates create Control-Alt-Delete? How did synchronized swimming prepare Christine Lagarde for international politics? What made Bob Iger bet big on Marvel? And what inspired Diane von Furstenberg to create the wrap dress? On The David Rubenstein Show, peer-to-peer conversations, I uncover the untold stories of the world's most successful leaders. Listen now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to For the Ages, a history podcast presented by the New York Historical Society and hosted by David Rubenstein. Join us as he deftly explores the rich and complex history of the United States with some of the nation's foremost historians and creative thinkers, because history matters. I'm going to be in conversation today with Jack Davis, a second conversation with him about the history of the bald eagle in the United States. Jack, for those who may not have heard the previous conversation, is the author of a book on the bald eagle, and he probably knows more about it than virtually anybody in America or in the world. So, Jack, thank you very much for being with us again. Uh, my pleasure. Good to be back. So there's an apocryphal story that Benjamin Franklin wanted to make the turkey the American bird, and that the American bird subsequently became not the turkey, but the American bald eagle. First, is there any truth that Benjamin Franklin cared about the turkey that much to make it the national bird? Is that true or not? Well, there there are elements of truth in that story. And like a lot of stories, it's been, been distorted over the years. Benjamin Franklin did uh, compare the quote-unquote moral values or moral behavior of bald eagles with with wild turkeys and uh, he said uh, he regarded the wild turkey as as a uh, courageous and honorable bird but he regarded the bald eagle as a as a rank coward and thief and he never however proposed the wild turkey to be the national bird or to be on the great seal of the united states Okay, well, let's talk about the bald eagle and the great seal. Right now, is the bald eagle the national bird? Do we have a national bird? We have no national bird. Um, A lot of people are incredulous to to learn that. They'll argue with you and say, of course, we have a a national bird. Even um, U.S. government websites identify the bald eagle as the national bird. But those, uh, you know, the government isn't always right. Congress has never designated a national bird as it has a national mammal, the bison, a national flower, the rose, and a national tree, uh, the the oak. But the bald eagle has been on the front of the Great Seal of the United States from the very beginning, 1782. And it's always, if, if you will, falsely posed as, as the national bird. Okay, so let me make sure I got my history right. When this country was created after the Revolutionary War, uh, it was felt that any country needs to have a seal so you can have official documents uh, with an official seal. And it was felt, as I understand it, that we should have a seal that might have the American bald eagle on it. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Well, actually, during the revolution, that was the belief. On July 4, 1776, um, soon after Congress approved the Declaration of Independence, it appointed a, a committee to design a great seal of the United States. And on that committee were Ben Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson, a star cast who failed miserably in designing a great seal of the United States. It did not propose the bald eagle. 
And it was another six years, uh, two more committees and a number of consultants before finally Charles Thompson, the Secretary of Congress, uh, said, look, guys, we're going to be winning the war soon. We need a great seal when we go to the uh, sign the peace treaty. Uh, and he took it upon himself to put the bald eagle on the front of the great seal of the United States. Well, was he an artist? How did he know how to draw a, a bald eagle? Uh, he wasn't a great artist, but he was able to sketch one out and sketch out an idea. And uh, eventually a, an artist was, was brought in uh, to uh, finalize the image. So the great seal of the United States used for official documents, that still has the bald eagle on it. Is that the same seal that Mr. Thompson drew up? It is virtually the same seal. It, it's, it's been refined a couple of times over the past. The, the seal that we have today is based on a uh, Tiffany's revision of the 1880s, and it's virtually remained unchanged since then. Now, other civilizations and countries have used bald eagles, not necessarily the American bald eagle, uh, on their seal. What is it about eagles that make civilizations um, so interested in having them as a representative of that civilization? Yeah, that's right, David. Eagles have been symbols of nation-states dating back to the ancient Romans and the Greeks. And all of those eagles have been non, uh, non-species, have been generic eagles, non-ornithological eagles. The bald eagle is the first identifiable species on a nation-state seal. But the eagles, the eagles generally represent or convey strength um, and, and, and courage and in and, and freedom. And that's why one reason why it was so appealing to uh, the U.S. Congress. The bald eagle, as it's on our seal, has the talons that have different things in it. What are the different things and why are they in those talons? So in one, one talon, the bald eagle grips uh, 13 arrows, uh, which at the time represented the original 13 states, but also uh, strength in, in defense. And in the other talon, the bald eagle uh, grips and an olive branch, which represents peace. You know, we come to you in peace. So today, if you look at, let's say, our dollar bills, do the dollar bills have the official seal of the United States on it? Uh, and do they have the, the eagle on it as well? Yes, the dollar bills do on, on the reverse side. They have um, both sides of the great seal of the United States. On the, on the reverse side of the great seal is the, is the pyramid with the eye of glory above it. And uh, so both of those images and the the bald eagle and the pyramid are on the back of a dollar bill. Now, as you point out, we have a national uh, tree, we have a national flower, we have a national anthem. Why is it that Congress never got around to having a national bird? Was it they're so busy when they didn't get around to it or there was too much controversy or what was the reason? There was just the assumption that the bald eagle being on the front of the Great Steel of the United States um, made it the national bird. Um, but it's only officially a, a national symbol. Uh, Congress tomorrow could designate some other bird as, as the national bird. Uh, the, the post remains vacant at this point. Okay. Um, let me ask you about the destruction of the, um, of the American bald eagle population. So, when settlers came from, let's say, England and other countries, they came to the original colonies, did they just see the bald eagle as a, a pest they should kill or something they should eat? Or what did they do to kind of uh, get rid of the bald eagle, if anything? Or they just let it stay around? 
While Americans love the image of the bald eagle, once it was adopted for the great seal of the United States, at the same time, they despised the, the species, the, the living bird itself. It was regarded as a uh, predator that was uh, a danger or that jeopardized the trade or the commerce of, of farmers um, as a common barnyard thief and treated like a wolf or a coyote or a mountain lion or bear. A bald eagle scene was a bald eagle to be shot. Um, it was wrongfully accused of stealing all sorts of livestock, such as sheep and pigs and, and, and calves. And it did steal chickens, but uh, those, that other livestock, the bald eagles can't, can't carry away. So uh, was it considered okay, no crime or at all, to kill a bald eagle? Up until 1940, yes. It was very common to kill bald eagles. And it was not considered a crime. It was seen as a civic duty, as a, as a matter of fact. And throughout the, the 19th century, Americans killed hundreds of thousands of, of, of bald eagles. But also in 1917, the very year that the United States joined the war in Europe, which we now call World War One, taking with it the bird of freedom as a symbol of the United States, the very bird to which the United States was denying its, its, its freedom, the territory of Alaska imposed a bald eagle bounty. If you turned in a set of talons, you could collect 50 cents. And from 1917 to 1952, Alaska paid bounties on uh, something like 260,000 bald eagles. So when a bald eagle was killed, uh, was it just disposed of? Or did people say maybe there's some meat there worth cooking or that didn't happen? You know, um, I, I came across evidence that people now and then uh, eight bald eagles, but uh, they they weren't hunted for food. Generally, the body was was disposed of. Typically, what would happen is, and I saw hundreds of newspaper reports about this: a bald eagle would be shot uh, in, uh, say, Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, and the local newspaper would uh, run an article about this bald eagle shot as if somebody had caught a big, uh, largemouth bass down at the you know down at the river. And uh, they would report um, the, the the wingspan of the bald eagle, how it had been killed, uh, and, and the weight, if it had been weighed. It, it was just very objective reporting. There was no condemnation. Um, and more often than not, there was celebration um, because a, a predator had been killed. So the, the American bald eagle was here before uh, English settlers showed up. And presumably they had some relationship with Native Americans. What was the nature of that relationship with Native Americans then, hundreds of years ago? And is there a relationship now with Native Americans and the bald eagle? Yeah, Native peoples had a relationship with bald eagles dating back thousands of years. For, for many Native American uh, groups, the bald eagle is a, a spirit bird it's, it's, or a messenger bird. It delivers messages between the the people and their lost ancestors and the and and the great creator and their body parts and their feathers uh, are really conduits to that other world and are used in religious and ceremonial events and that relationship continues today unfortunately when when congress passed the 1940 bald eagle protection act it it criminalized um, Native behavior that went back thousands of years, uh, meaning that Native peoples could no longer take um, bald eagles out of the wild, which they had always done, but never excessively. 
Um, typically, uh, there was a eagle hunter who was designated who went through elaborate rituals before uh, he and it was always a he. He could go out and and take a bald eagle. Um, but in recent years, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, has worked very hard to try to restore some semblance of that traditional relationship. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife has a National Eagle Center, uh, National Eagle Repository outside of Denver, and all bald eagle parts and feathers go to that repository, and those parts and feathers are distributed exclusively to, to Native peoples. But also Fish and Wildlife has, has allowed uh, a couple of nations, indigenous nations, to take a, a, a limited number of bald eagles out of the wild. There are also some seven indigenous aviaries around the United States, most of them out west, where bald eagles go through rehabilitation and those who are not releasable become permanent residents of those aviaries and the tribe or the nation can collect um, the, the molted feathers to use in their ceremonies. I should point out that in any other uh, uh, raptor center where there are bald eagles that are permanent residents, when their down feathers fall and, and they molt their other feathers, those all have to be collected and sent to the National Eagle Repository so they can be redistributed to Native peoples. Wow. So let's talk about DDT. What is DDT and why was DDT so uh, commonly used in the United States and in parts of the 20th century? So DDT had been around since the mid-19th century, but its uh, potential as a pesticide wasn't discovered until uh, the 1940s until World War II. And uh, prior to World War II, it was typical that the military forces were more devastated by disease than by warfare itself. And so during World War II, um, the military was desperate uh, to control uh, disease among its troops. And DDT um, proved to be a great pesticide. It reduced the incidences of of typhus um, significantly, and it has been accredited uh, with making World War II the first war in which fewer people died of disease than of gunshot. And so since it proved to be such a great pesticide during the war, it was released in 1945 to the general market and used widely in agriculture and forestry, uh, but also in homes. Uh, you could go down to the grocery store um, and buy a number of DDT products in, in a number of forms. And people took it home and used it in, in their houses to control the pest. Uh, we'd beaten the Germans, we'd beaten the Japanese, and now we wanted to beat the bugs. So at one point, Rachel Carson wrote a very famous book about the effects of DDT, Silent Spring. And people began to get nervous about DDT hurting people more than they had ever thought and causing real damage to humans. So while this was going on, DDT was being used for a while. And what was the impact of DDT on the American bald eagle? Well, the impact on the American bald eagle was the same as it was on American bird life generally and also fish life. It was significant. You know, we blanketed the lower 48 states with, with uh, DDT. You know, but Rachel Carson's book is titled Silent Spring. And for a good reason, because um, people were missing the bird song in the spring. So many of them had been killed. And uh, DDT got into the food chain of the bald eagles uh, and getting into waterways and then into fish. 
uh, and DDT would make its way up through that food chain into the bodies of bald eagles. And in the bald eagles, the DDT is metabolized into DDE, which got into the, uh, the bloodstream in the egg gland of the females. And as a result, females would lay addled eggs or eggs with very uh, thin, soft shells. And so the uh, success rate of bald eagle nests plummeted uh, during the 1950s. So uh, we probably had at the beginning of our country, maybe 500,000 bald eagles. Nobody knows for certain. But let's say that's the number that people generally accept, 500,000 bald eagles at the beginning of our country. How many bald eagles were there when at the height of DDT? How, how low did the population of bald eagles go? Well, the best we can tell, because, you know, conducting a bald eagle population census was not yet common in those days. But in 1963, uh, National Audubon Society led a bald eagle census effort uh, across the lower 48 states where DDT had had its greatest impact. And in 1963, volunteers were only able to count fewer than 500 nesting pairs. So less than a thousand, in other words. Is that right? So that would be uh, fewer than a thousand um, nesting bald eagles, but you know, we don't know how many other bald eagles who were not of nesting age or didn't have mates at that time. But it's pretty clear that the population was quite small, and it may have been fewer than a thousand or two thousand total population in the lower 48. And it's fair to say they were endangered that they might have gone extinct if we had continued to use DDT. Is that fair? That was absolutely the fear. But uh, twice, you know, I mean, before the 1940 Bald Eagle Protection Act, Americans were very much worried about the bald eagle going extinct because of how we hunted it down. But then again, after DDT um, or during the DDT years, we were uh, very much feared that the bald eagle, at least in the lower 48, would go extinct. So because DDT ultimately was outlawed or not allowed to be used for these kind of common purposes, and because bounties were not allowed to be offered, let's say, in the lower 48 to capture bald eagles, the population of bald eagles increased. So did you see a steady increase from the, let's say, the mid-60s up to today? The turning point, the real turning point is 1972, because in that year, the EPA banned the sale of DDT in the United States. Um, also, National Fish and Wildlife, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, increased the penalty under the Bald Eagle Protection Act for, for harming a bald eagle. But also Congress um, passed the 1972 Clean Water Act, which uh, helped clean up the waterways around the country. I mean, in 1972, only one third of the nation's waters were, were safe for swimming and fishing. That was our habitat, but it was also the habitat of bald eagles. So as we began cleaning up those those waters around the country in the 70s and 80s and on into the 90s, the aquatic life came back, which meant the food came back for bald eagles. But also during that period, starting in 1976, the, the bicentennial of the United States, Fish and Wildlife, along with state wildlife officials, launched eagle restoration projects, um, which, uh, which continued across the country, even into the early uh, 21st century. So as a result of all this, we have uh, about a half a million of bald eagles again in the United States or in North America. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, would you expect the population of bald eagles to continue at a rate such that we might have too many bald eagles and, or is that not a problem that we have to worry about? 
it can be a you know, a quote unquote problem. The, the bald eagle population during the 2010s quadrupled, uh, which is phenomenal. Um, I don't see it quadrupling in the subsequent 10 years, but it'll continue to grow. And so, uh, as I've mentioned before, as that population grows, there's increasing numbers of clashes between our population and bald eagles population. But also what some scientists have found that in the case of the plover, for instance, which is a shorebird that is uh, endangered, uh, bald eagles, as their population have come back, they have started feeding on plovers and jeopardizing the restoration of their population. But then you can go to the Channel Islands in, in California where the bald eagles used to um, nest in, in great numbers before DDT. When they disappeared, golden eagles started using the Channel Islands as stopovers for on their migration routes. And they started preying on the rare Channel Island uh, fox. And so that the, the golden eagles were jeopardizing that the fox population. But then as bald eagles came back, they returned to the Channel Islands, kicked the golden eagles out, and they don't prey on the fox. They they prey on the fish. And so now the fox population is restoring itself on the Channel Islands. So it's really fascinating to watch how all these things play out in nature. So the eagle um, today, the American bald eagle, is still a pretty popular animal, pretty popular bird. Uh, a lot of sports teams have been named after eagles. Um, and I, I think generally people don't have an animus towards the eagle, the American bald eagle. Uh, why is it that the American bald eagle is so popular and sort of liked? It's not like they're, it's not like a parakeet where you're domesticating it and you spend time with it. Nobody gets that close to the bald eagles. Why are they so popular? Yeah, I think it's it's really the image. I mean, as I said before, the bald eagle is truly an all-American bird. So we've got that connection with it, right? Um, it lives only in North America, and it conveys those qualities that we associate with our country and us as a people, you know, courage, strength, and freedom. And also, as I say in the book, the bald eagle has that that perfect uh, don't tread on me stare expression. And just all those things fit so well um, with, with the country. It's regarded as a, a fierce bird, and Americans tend to like um, the idea of fierceness um, in themselves, but also in, in whatever represents them. Now, you are part of an effort to get the national bird to be named, finally, and the American bald eagle would be your choice. Uh, what's the likelihood of Congress actually doing that? It's a good likelihood. And I don't see any other competing candidates for the position of, of national bird. And I can't imagine anybody uh, introducing that. I think this would be an ideal bipartisan effort. I think you get a strong, if not a unanimous, bipartisan support for the bald eagle as, as national bird. So when I have gone to look for some bald eagles, like in Alaska and other places, and to observe them, I kind of had a sense from the guides that you can't get too close to them before you scare them away. How close can a human get to a bald eagle for photographic purposes before the bald eagle says, I'm out of here? Every bald eagle has its own personality and its own sense of fear, but typically just a few feet. Now, if you're holding a fishing rod <laughs> and you've cast out into the water and um, a bald eagle is, will tend to get closer to you than other, otherwise, 
um, because again, as I said earlier, like ground brown pelicans, they're always looking for a handout and they're hoping you're going to reel in a fish that you'll give up to them. Uh, and so on those occasions, they, they can get quite close. So if a bear is holding a fish, will a bald eagle be willing to scoop in and take it out of a bear's hand or that's too, too much danger? You know, if it sees an opportunity where the bear may be fumbling with it, that's a possibility. I can assure you that the bald eagle will be watching that bear closely to see what, what happens. If it happens to lose it uh, or if it happens to walk away from it and leave some remains, then it'll swoop in. So today, uh, when you uh, talk about bald eagles, do people ask you questions all the time? What's the biggest, most common question you get asked about bald eagles? You know, they do ask me questions, but you know what they do most, David, is they tell me stories about bald eagles they see in their backyard or on, on the lake where they fish or at their neighbors or while they were on vacation. That's what I get more than anything. And they are so excited. And they show me pictures on their phones of, uh, of bald eagles that they saw. And that's, that's what I get most. Uh, I get mostly stories rather than questions. Well, one thing is certain, there's nobody that knows more about American bald eagles than Jack Davis. Um, I would say uh, you know an, an enormous amount. And when I did go looking for some bald eagles in Minnesota and Alaska for something I was doing, I read your book. I learned an enormous amount. And Jack, uh, congratulations on the success of your book and your other um, you know, historic uh, writing about environmental matters. And um, thank you for being with us today. Uh, David, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. On behalf of the New York Historical Society, thank you for joining us for another episode of For the Ages, a history podcast hosted by David Rubenstein. We hope you enjoyed it and come back for more. Thanks for your support. You can share your thoughts at public.programs at nyhistory.org.